Hello and welcome to this episode of the Coaching Podcast from British Canoeing Awarding Body. Hi, welcome everyone and welcome to the British Canoeing Awarding Body Coaching Podcast. Uh, my name is Lee Pooley, I'm the Director of Coaching and Qualifications for British Canoeing and I'm delighted to be joined by Georgina Maxwell and Dan Wilkinson who are both members of the British Canoe uh, Whitewater Technical Group. And this podcast focuses on decision-making, exploring concepts and what impacts and informs our decision-making. So, uh, hi, Dan. Hi, Georgina. Hi, Lee. Um, what I wanted to do is probably before we actually get into the subjects of, um, of decision-making, um, I think it'd be really good if you provide a little bit of a background to yourself so, you know, the listeners can actually, you know, make some links as we as we talk through over the next 30 40 minutes so Georgina do you want to go first yeah good morning or good afternoon whatever time you're listening uh, yeah so I'm Georgina Maxwell um I've been involved in the outdoors since I was 16 and now I'm 38 Ooh, where's the time going um, and I've done a breadth of activities throughout that whole time and now I kind of specialize in whitewater kayaking and mountaineering that's where my work takes me however in my own time I continue to go um, ski touring, climbing in the Alps, um, sea kayaking. I've done a few biggish expeditions, one across the Aegean Sea, which was one of my highlights. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm outside the whole time, so I'm pretty, pretty active. Um, that's that's me. Georgina, you know, listeners can't see, obviously, but uh, it looks like you're, you're in a wonderful, wonderful setting there. Whereabouts, whereabouts are you based? Yeah, so I'm based up in the north northeast of Scotland, um, up near the Murray coast. It's absolutely beautiful up here. My local whitewater river is uh, the Findhorn. Uh, my local mountain range is the Cairngorms. And for the sea, I've got the whole of the Murray coast, which has about 200 resident dolphins in there. Um, and I've got a little croft with two pet sheep, a dog, a cat and a husband. <laughs> in that order. <laughs> Yeah, I was just yeah, I was just going to ask that, but you said it quite clear there. Um, I, I'd imagine there's a lot of people listening to this, uh, including myself, that I'm extremely jealous of, of where you're located and the adventures uh, right on your doorstep. So thanks very much for that, Georgina. Um, Dan, hi everyone. Um, I'm Dan. I grew up in London. I started paddling at a youth project on the canal uh, and failed my A level spectacularly. Uh, resat them and then moved to the Lake District to do a degree in outdoor leadership, which exposed me to the wider outdoor world that I haven't been that I hadn't really seen from my childhood um that degree in outdoor leadership then took me to live in North Wales for a decade before moving back to the lakes with my wife and our two young children who keep us on our toes for sure um I have been fortunate enough to paddle whitewater across the world I've done some first ascents and things in different places I've done a load of different canoe trips both open water and whitewater canoeing highlights being paddling in Canada and doing a run at Moor crossing last year which was in exceptional conditions which was great and I've also done a fair amount of sea paddling I deliver a lot of British canoeing awards as well so I work half time for myself and I work half time for the MOD uh, and all a lot of my work focuses on developing people to be instructors and taking other people out into the environments that we're lucky enough to go and play and work in ourselves. Brilliant. Okay, Dan. Um, obviously, you know, done a lot of boating, paddled in lots of different places. What's on your tick list? Oh, <laughs> I've got a tick list that's much longer than my time allows at the moment. Okay, you're um, only allowed two. 
Okay, the Humna Canali in Nepal, that's an absolutely iconic river. I remember that. I, I was inspired to go and do that from reading um, Many Rivers to Run by Dave Manby, one of our pioneers of our sports. And it's on the front cover of that. And I remember reading the stories about the descent of that. So that's really high up on the list. And I'd also really like to go and paddle around the Shetland Islands by sea kayak. A friend went up there a couple of years ago and just sent the pictures they sent back were amazing. I'd love to go and explore up there. Thanks very much for the introductions, both of you. And um, I think it just, you know, provides a bit of context for, for listeners uh, as you as we go through this particular subject around decision making. To get the ball rolling, really, is throughout throughout all of our lives, we are constantly making decisions. But obviously, this this is around based around paddlers. So Georgina and Dan, you know, what you know, in terms of decision making, what what are the different approaches that we might be taking and and you know, can you give give us a bit of a background about you know what makes us make decisions? Okay, I'll start. Um, so when I think about decision making, particularly if we're in charge or if we're not in charge, if we're a member of a group, either or, um, when it comes to decision making, there's a few different ways. So quite a lot of it happens during the planning, which we have a lot of time to make these decisions and do our research and chat to others. And the other one is in the moment when suddenly something changes and we have to make a really quick decision based on the information that we already have. Now, these do feed into one another. So it might be that we've um, mitigated against a lot of these unforeseen issues by choosing the correct venue or choosing uh, something that's appropriate. Um, so, yeah, we can put a bit of a a pin onto that and to how to help us make these decisions but we'll come on to that so that's my take on the the fast and slow decisions dan do you want to add to that yeah the, the decision making is really interesting as a topic there's there's huge amounts of work and research done into decision making and good decision making things and different people give it different titles so some people talk about naturalistic and classical decision making some people talk about fast and slow decision making or type one and type two and they they all refer to similar processes where we've either got lots of time to consider multiple options or we're having to make a decision in the heat of the moment so like breaking out into that uh, naturalistic and classical decision making my classical decision making process I'm thinking about going paddling tomorrow I'm having a look at the rainfall I'm having a look at who's available I'm having a look at all those different things I've got loads of time to consider that from the comfort of my own home and then a, a much more naturalistic decision would be oh my friend's just fallen in in this situation I need to do something about it what am I going to do about it right now and I end up I don't have time to look at all those different options so I just end up picking an option Dana and Georgina, is there is there such thing as an in-between of those, you know, the, the fast and slow? Because, you know, let's go to your mountaineering example, you know, your mountaineering background, Georgina, is, you know, there there could be things that you are, you know, you're absorbing as you as you approach. Um, but that's not fast and it's neither slow, is it? So it's almost, you know, where does where does that fit in? Yeah, that, that fits in with how, how aware you are as well and how restricted you are um, by pinning yourself into decisions that you've already made. So um, an example of that would be um, walk it, walking into the mountain, having already made your plan and things aren't quite as what they seem, but you push on anyway. Um, or somebody in the group may be um, having an issue, but they're not going to say anything. And you can maybe recognize that, but you're just going to carry on anyway. So there's things that inform our decision making that actually 
isn't very fast you know you still have the time to make these decisions but it might be during your planning phase that you've decided to flag that up at some point or or create a, create a space for okay this is the last bit before we drop into this gorge does anyone want to get off or um or we can take another another route here which means we don't have to do the full original plan uh, so yeah there's definitely space for for that sort of medium term decision making that happens and Dan, have you got anything else to add to a particular you know, area of... Uh, yeah, I definitely view decision-making as a continuum from like, I've got all the time in the world, so I've got no time at all. And it's, it's recognising how much time I have to consider my options that's really important to me. And I can, as George, Georgina says, I can front-load some of that kind of like option thinking about by going, oh, I know there's a hard rapid coming up. I know that as I go around this headland, the swell's going to change direction. I'm going to be more exposed to those. And considering what that might mean for me and the team I'm with and the, the aims we've set for the day and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not kind of going, oh my gosh, something's just happened in front of me. And I'm not going, I'm sitting at home with my cup of tea thinking about what might happen. I've got a little bit of time just to consider a few options and pick the best option that I have. And it's, it's really important to recognize those option moments I talk about a lot. So I've got options here. I either go around the headland, I could go around the headland as a controlled small pod, I could go around the headland and just put my nose out and see what it feels like, or I could just carry on blindly, not consider what I'm about to do or the change I'm about to experience and what I'm going to do about that before I've got to that environment. Yeah, for me, you know, we're all in that position that we could put our hands up and say, yeah, we've made some great decisions and also we've not made particularly good decisions uh, when we've been out on the water or, or, or whatever activity we're doing. Um, so what are the influences of good decision making and, and not as good decision making? Yeah, we could we could tackle this from a facilitator's point of view or we could tackle this from a, a as a member of a group point of view. So I'll start with from a facilitator's point of view. You may have made some decisions and you're working for an organisation and the decisions you're making, you might be thinking, oh, the organization doesn't usually doesn't you know doesn't usually go to this venue so perhaps i'll go to the venue that they usually go to mm -hmm. and in your head you're thinking i know that's not not entirely what i would do but i feel like um i'm expected to go to this place because that's what that's where they usually go so that might be an example of something that interferes with your decision making and and i find personally that once these added factors and you're not quite in control of it and you're doing it as an expectation you start to second guess quite a lot of the things that you're doing um, because you're like, oh, would they expect us to do that? And as time passes and as you work more in that role, you begin to um, trust your own judgment a bit more instead of thinking about the, the expectations from them places. So that would be one example of working for an organization but as a facilitator. But another one might be if you're working in isolation and you don't have that um, decisions to bounce off other practitioners it might be that you you actually go well I'm just going to use this venue because I know it works um, or I'm going to go back here because I don't have to think too much about that and that buys me time to think about other things later so you fall into a bit of an acceptance or a commitment into using using a venue which maybe might not challenge the individuals so you know you you might find something easier in one place but it starts to you know take away from things in another place I hope that makes sense no, no, it does. And I just, you know, as you were talking there, you know, you gave an example of organisational, um, you know, pressures or expectations. But also other paddlers could 
influence your decision making by their expectations that they want to do this or they want to do this particular descent or they've not run this river before so there there are it's not just an organization it can be other people that influence 100% yeah so um you might get pressures from the group um expecting to be on a certain type of water but maybe the conditions aren't great for that type of water that day so you have to go somewhere else and um, that has a direct effect on their motivations for the day so they may suddenly be a little bit deflated or maybe not even trust you as a as um, a, a leader anymore because you've made a decision which they they wouldn't have wanted um, so it's how you get that back is is the skill in itself um, and I, I suppose when you have tricky characters so I've, I've worked for the the military of defense as well quite for about seven years um to me if i give them too much adrenaline too soon they want more and more and more and there's only so far you can go with their skill level within that environment so <laughs> you have to be very careful about how you structure a week's course with them um so yeah you definitely do get some people like, why are we not going here it's like well we can maybe go there another day or <laughs> it's a tricky tricky balance but it's it's easy to manage once you actually become less task focused when you when you start to be comfortable with how you talk to people that that could be just the one thing that somebody's focusing on is just how they actually get their message across to people um, or it might be that they're even thinking about their own personal paddling or performance within that environment um, so you know they're not going to be that focused on reading individual uh, members of the group and how stressed they might be looking or how calm or maybe they're not very stimulated in that environment so yeah it's a, it's a challenge but once you get comfortable in yourself I find it's much easier to cope with. And Dan would you you know would you have any other areas of we as you know coaches leaders need to be need to have a raised awareness of of what might impact our decisions a, a whole list of lots and lots of things and if we just rewind to this impacting our decisions working commercially we're always under some pressure organizing a club trip we're always under some sort of pressure to kind of go out even just going out paddling with our friends we're always under some sort of pressure to do something to perform to go to an exciting place to go to a new venue to go to somewhere to pick a river that's got the appropriate conditions on it for the team for their aims for the day and things and and it's just uh, we've got a real triad of different things that we should be considering before we make our decisions of to where we go which should then support us further down that line so the kind of triad of areas that i think about are the what is the environment actually doing you know so that's that's going to really impact me i live in the lakes we're really fortunate we've got loads of fantastic white water rivers um, but quite a lot of them are rainfall dependent so people might want to come up for a weekend and they've got to put that weekend in their diary six months in advance because people have got children they've got commitments they're coming up from london they need to live share with people you know all those different things so we've kind of already committed to a a date and then we're trying to fit the environmental conditions to our aims and ambitions for that for that trip um and, and that doesn't matter if it's me working with them or i've just got friends coming up paddling for the weekend so we're going okay the people are coming up we want to get their aim and, and this is where we have to start breaking down into what are the aims of the team before we start finalizing locations that we're going to so what do we actually want from our day out um, you know, and that that might be a, a, there's lots of different things we can take into that. But I've found the thing that's helped me most with solid decision making 
before I choose a venue is understanding the motivations of the people I'm going out with. I think that for me, that's huge. I go paddling with people who just like being on the water. You know, so um, they just want to go out and be in nature and have a, a nice time. Yeah. Um, I think back to um, when I was working through one of my coach awards and I had some long-term students and things. Uh, at that point, I hadn't quite cottoned on to this idea that different people had different motivations for paddling. I just thought everyone wanted to get better and better at paddling. Um, whereas <laughs> I'm pretty much at the other end of that spectrum now and people enjoy paddling for lots and lots of different reasons and understanding that different people have different reasons for wanting to come paddling um, and trying to balance and consider all those different reasons that people might want for that day out will then really help me pick where I'm going to go for that day out with them. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? That 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 light bulb moment, but it's such a it's such a reality check as well, isn't it? When you go, okay, they're just they're not here to be coached and not here to get better. They're actually here to absorb and to experience and all those other things and, and socialize. Um it almost puts you back into it back into the box where, you know, you know, what we're here for really, isn't it? And it's about those people on the water both of you talked a lot about external influences you know all your all your um examples there i would suggest are external influences and i'm wondering whether there's there's a there's a discussion to be had on this podcast about is there anything that we need to understand about ourselves yeah as i said right at the start i've got two young children both under three at the moment um my wife and i both work so our, our, our leisure time is quite limited so if i've got the chance to go paddling in and there's water around i've got i i find that i'm like okay there's there's a few rivers in cumbria that i haven't done yet that i really want to do they're all probably quite manky ditches because <laughs> that's that's the nature of the things i've not paddled around here yet um and so just thinking about going, OK, I've got the opportunity to go and do Borrow Beck, for example, which is the one that goes from Shap. It's got the longest shuttle in the world on it. Uh, I really want to do that. Is this the right day to go and do that river to tick off that that thing that I really want to do? And it never has been yet because the, the availability of the people or the availability of um, my time is, is so limited that we don't have time to go and explore that sort of environment and just rationalizing that internally has actually really helped me to just go and have a nice time on the water as much as anything else and appreciate the time I've got out rather than having to do the things that I feel like I should be doing because I've got these pressures from different people and different things. I'll talk a bit about external influences that lead to that sort of long to longer decision making that we've got time to do so that's more the planning phase um, and I've been using it in the mountains for a long time with the B Avalanche Aware um, but yeah, we can we can look at it in, in this this setting as well. So thinking a bit about the people or the party that you're going with, the conditions and the the venue um, or the grade of water that you're then going to go and paddle. I'll, I'll do this in a white water context. And so the people that I might be going out with, I might be considering um, I'll do this from a facilitator's point of view. Then I might have a look at it a little bit from uh, me going out with mates. So from a facilitator's point of view would be the ability of the group. Um, the big one for me is the because uh, the ability I might have a really high ability group uh, Lee Valley paddlers, um, but they may, might not have any awareness on the river. So the awareness of the group as well is quite important to me. Um, the group past experiences, good or bad. So I might choose a venue which they've had a terrible swim on, 
and they're really worried about it, whereas I'm thinking that's perfectly within their grade, uh, but there might be some history there. So that might affect how they're going to be on that day. Um, and and how much, you know, they trust me in my decision making as well. Um, but how much of a collaborative approach I can have with them. So I might say to a certain groups, you know, where, where do you want to go? What rivers do you want to paddle? What do you want to get done this weekend or, as we're going out? And then, of course, finally, like what Dan's talking about, is the motivations, which is, I you know, I've put that finally, but it's a big point to me is, is um, what about what are we doing for the day? We're just trying to get a picture of one drop or are we just going to go 30 kilometres down, down a big, long Findhorn, you know? Um, then uh, next on to there might be, and you can add in any gaps here, Dan, if I've missed any, but the next one would be the venue. Um, so that might be based on the grade of water um, or it might be how committing it is. So it could be going into a gorge or it could be, you know, a four kilometre hike up the, up the mountain to get to uh, the length of the journey. Um, some people might be only ready for a two kilometre journey where others want a big full day out in it on a big, big river. Is it roadside? Uh, have you have you left the cars dotted down the river so that we can get out and we're not fully committed to the whole journey? Um, and then the type of water as well, which is quite important. These are all parts of the venue selection. Uh, so the whether it's uh, big volume or whether it's pool drop or whether it's Sean Baker style <laughs> and Welsh rivers. Um, and then that's that's the venue side of things and then into that feeding all into that is the conditions as well so it might be like oh i choose to go to this one but it's really high oh i'll get on anyway and that's going to cause issues isn't it so um do we have any alternatives with our venue venues because the conditions dictate that so um outside temperature as well that's all part of the conditions you know, are you going to commit into something without the appropriate uh, equipment? Is there more rain due? How saturated is the ground? Is it going to spike whilst you're on it? Um, and also, as we're using a lot more ele electronic gauges these days, you know, how, how updated are they? You know, do we know the time scales? Do we know the lags on the rivers? Um, that's all really feeding into that big part of the decision making, which is your venue selection for the day. Um, so if we've got that pretty much dialed in and we can think about that a lot, then when we're on the river, we might be able to um, know a bit more about what's going to happen because we know more about the group. We know more about that nature of the river, um, for example. That that was from a um, facilitator's perspective, but from um, an individual going out with a group of mates, it's fairly similar as well. But we might end up going to the rivers that we know best. Um, you know, if we've... Oh, we've done that loads of times we don't have to think too much about it and, and it's really high and we like it high so let's just all go there i do find it harder to make a decision about a venue selection within a group of mates because somebody um maybe me will go oh do you fancy this or someone will say oh do you fancy that and then we'll all go yeah that sounds awesome and let's go the psych is so high that it doesn't seem to be too much of an issue and um, the, the tricky thing is is when you get there and it might not be doing what you expect it to be doing, say it's higher or lower, you might end up going to a new venue off the cuff. Um, and, you know, with a really solid group of mates with the same motivations, it doesn't seem to cause too many issues and a nice safe group as well, because that's really important. Sorry about the information dump. <laughs> no, no, no not, not at all, Georgina. And I think, you know, when you talk about that, um, it's about, also creating the appropriate climate within the group whether it's facilitated or as a group of friends is the ability for them to feel that they can say no or go or put their hand up and ask a question and i think that's a that's a something that we've all missed 
on occasions not those you know not seen those triggers or those signs that people aren't 100 percent happy and we almost get carried away with our own wants and needs isn't it um that's a really big trap that's uh, that we can fall into it's like oh i must teach them how to take a bearing that's my aim for the day and then you start to forget about all the other things that are important so if we're in the winter mountains and you're teaching someone to take a bearing and they're all freezing and someone's at the back, you know, you're not really adjusting to the environment and what we could do better and maybe do that in a different location. Um, that's more about facilitation, but for sure with, um, you know, choosing the right things to focus on at the right time will definitely help us um, be more of an open group and and social socially open group is so important to me because we might miss signals from each other um if we're not happy there or, or you might feel like i can't say anything well i'm just going to drop into the gorge anyway because i don't do that and and what 2006 that's a long time ago now i dropped into a gorge in norway didn't say anything i didn't have any integrity i was like oh i don't say anything now and i paddled a rapid and swam and went under this undercut it was horrible but just because i wasn't being honest with myself but honest with the group and so yeah i, I would encourage everybody to to be really open and honest and have that uh, collaborative approach which allows um lots of discussion but not too much because we do need to get things done. Um, but also, you know, just allows that open atmosphere to share practice as well, which is quite important. You can't just sit there and think, oh, well, I know it all. You know, it's it's you learn from one another all the time. And I wonder, I wonder, you know, if you know, you know, the listeners are, are going right. Okay, yeah, planning. You know, probably a lot of coaches and leaders are used to the planning stage, but it's always good to highlight. But the thing that might be less less obvious or less clear is the in the moment decision making uh, and i wondered if we could have a bit of time to explore that because it's um you know it's an area that's probably less familiar for people yeah i um I'll, i'd like to take up on that one if i may do so what georgina was just talking about noticing what's going on in our team and that's a really important concept for us um, because we can not only notice what's going on in the team we can notice what's going on in the environment we're in um, for a paddler that might mean uh, i'm in my canoe on the lock and i can see some white caps coming down the way or i can see the squall coming down so i'm going to adjust my trim as that happens it might be that for a paddler i'm coming up to a horizon line and then I, I'm going to, and, and this this all links this really important thing concept for us as paddlers called situation awareness. So our situation awareness is going to feed into our decision making process because if I haven't seen something that's either changing or is about to change, I'm not going to then make a good decision about what's about to happen next on my journey or my day out. Um, so uh, I, I think about situation awareness it, having three three different factors to it just noticing the environment and the environmental changes um, that might just be that the tides change and i can notice that by the swing of the boats on their mooring boys as i'm paddling out into the harbour and i didn't expect the time to, the tide to have changed yet so what do i need to do about that it might be the people i'm with is somebody paddling not as well as i'm used to them paddling on that day my mate lee he paddles really well all the time, but he's got on. I don't know that he's had a really rough night, that he's been up with the baby all night, that he's not had his breakfast. He was rushing to get out of the door to come paddling. So he's perhaps not performing to his best. And I've not adapted my what we're doing as a collective for that. Um, and also 
the impact of me on the rest of the people. So am I being too boisterous? Am I the one that's driving this agenda of going, I really want to go and get this photo of me going off this waterfall today. Um, this is all I care about. And I'm just being blind to everything else around me. So those, those three factors feed into my decision-making process, the environment, the people, and my impacts on the people and what that has. And, and those three things, help me make in moment decisions as well so we've gone to the river we've got to the river i'm paddling down my friend's fallen in and swam already we're about to start a 30k gorge he forgot his dry trousers today so he's only got his cag and a pair of trap and a wetsuit on and it's december is this the best thing to carry on with here because i'm already on the river i've already got changed i've already set the shuttle should I be carrying on and making those decisions to carry on or stop are really hard ones because we've already committed to everything. But not not carrying on and then not letting somebody get colder, they get colder, their performance drops off, they fall in more. We end up in this cascading effect of what was a easy to make decision 20 minutes ago has all of a sudden become quite a serious decision because we're now 4k from the vehicles and so all of a sudden aborting the trip is a much harder challenge and prospect but over but over time as well dan is over time that you know as coaches and leaders we build up experience don't we and we start to you know certain things start to have you know patterns and for patterns we have scripts you know so you know some people will know about heuristics you know and you know can we explore that area because i think you know there is a danger isn't there that we we quickly jump to a solution um now that might be the right solution and i don't want it to sound negative it might be the right one but also we need to make people aware that we we do have snap judgments and it's based on something yeah uh, i've got i've got a story i'd like to tell really quickly about um something that's titled recognition prime decision making that will fit into this and then we'll explore that idea of heuristics afterwards so as we do more, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, we probably get, we definitely get better at making decisions. Um, the idea of recognition prime decision making came from fire chiefs turning up at fire scenes. So uh, they looked at the differences between somebody who'd just been promoted to being a fire chief. So they turn up at a scene of a major incident and they're like, oh, I don't know where to put these fire engines. It takes them two days to put out the massive factory fire. They look at a similar incident with the fire chief that's been the fire chief for 20 years. They turn up and they go, just go and put that engine there, start firing the water on that specific spot and the fire's out within four hours. That's what triggered a lot of this research and decision making is how did that person know to go and do that when this other person who's got the same level of qualifications didn't know to go and do that straight away. And that just comes down from their experience making decisions, seeing lots and lots of various situations and going oh i recognize aspects of this i'm just going to go and focus this area here and that will just solve all this and that will literally put the fire out so that's a really healthy decision making process it's a really unhealthy decision making process if we fall into one of those heuristic traps where we're basing our decision on something that isn't as rational as that level of experience that that person has so there's loads and loads of stuff that's been written about these this idea of hu heuristic traps so heuristic is a shortcut on a decision making process when i talk about this with people i talk about what did you have for breakfast i know that i had for breakfast every morning for the last week a bowl of cereal with some yogurt on top that's what i do every morning 
I don't take into account what I'm about to go and do that day. I'm about to go climb Ben Nevis in winter conditions. It's going to be a 5,000 calorie day. Am I going to go and try and do three rivers with my friends? It's going to be a 4,000 calorie day. I don't even pay attention to that. I just have the same breakfast and leave my house to go and do a variety of different things. And that might be dropping the kids at nursery through to climbing Ben Nevis. I, I've just made a decision really quickly because I haven't got time to consider all those things. So I've got two kids. I want to get out the door and I want to go adventuring. That shortcut and decision-making process can be really healthy because it stops my brain getting overloaded. But when we're in adventurous environments, the shortcut and decision-making process can be quite unhealthy because I'm not making my decision based on all the facts. So we've talked a bit about commitment. I've done the shuttle. I've, one of my least favorite things to do at the moment is meeting people at the put-in for our journey because we're already committed to that venue. So I get there and it's really high or it's really low, but my mates have already taken their boats off the car and done the shuttle because I'm running late. Um, and so I'm like, oh, we're getting on this and we've not had time to think through the actual, is this the right place to be at the right time with the right people sort of process. So with, with that, I think it's so healthy uh, to go and continue to push yourself. If you are a facilitator or a practitioner, uh, it's really important to go and push yourself in your own time with, with your friends to see which areas, I'll use the word weakness, but which one do you end up falling into? And with a group of really strong friends, the same ability, whatever it is, generally it can be the expert halo where you go, oh, well, Dan's made that decision to do that. I'll be fine. I'm not going to question Dan, am I? You know, or um, it might be that, okay, well, actually, if I do this, I'm going to get a little bit more uh, credibility by going fall off that waterfall or make it look really good or make a GoPro or whatever it is it might get me more clients or you know and I think it's I think that's unhealthy to fall into them traps when you're out and about but if you continue to push yourselves in your own time you start to see that it highlights that and then you can start to reflect on that and, and think did we make that decision because of this now that question that I've just asked there is is really key because that's the question which um did we did we do that because of this? Well, it's you can have that conversation if you've got a really open environment with the people that you're doing things with. Mm -hmm. If you've got people that you're doing things with and they are a bit stronger, stronger willed, stronger, not very approachable, then that's just not going to work very well for you all. Expert halo, the, the term you use in expert halo, halo, that's not always self-appointed, is it? Definitely not. No. So it might be that people are looking at you to make decisions and you're doing the same to others. So you might become the expert when you're thinking, I'm just having a cruisy day out with me pals here, you know, not doing things like off the cuff and, and bad practice, because we don't, don't do that. But, you know, just having a good day out with your friends um, and they might just fall to you for the decisions. I find this so interesting, this topic, you know, um, and I absolutely love reflecting on why did we cut? Why did we do that? Why did that happen? Um, but before we get to that, um, thinking about well, does it start right at the very beginning where someone goes, shall we run this river? If you're out with your pals and you've come up with the idea, then perhaps you've already created the expert halo yourself because you suggested something, something to think about. This is, a, you know, one of the things that, you know, what I want to say now is that this is just the beginning of these particular discussions and, and resources that we that we hopefully will build over time to, to help people understand about decision making. But I think, Probably a question that listeners will have is going, well, oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, makes sense to me. Some really good top tips and, you know, almost gives a bit of clarity there. But 
how do I get better at decision making? Georgina's definitely alluded to it there. Is that is the process of no, noticing what decisions have been made during your day out. So at the end of a day out, just have a think, to take two minutes just to think what decisions did we make and think when did we make those decisions? And then and then ask yourself the question, why did we make those decisions? And that will trigger that reflective process for you of just, and as you go through this, you'll start to recognize the multitude of decisions you've made in the day out. So, you know, the first time I did that, I was, I was like, oh, I just chose to eddy out here and then go down that line there because we had to scout it to check there wasn't a tree in it as, as i get better i'm like why did i choose to wear two layers of thermals today you know and, and breaking all those and just starting to think about all those micro decisions we make will really help us to go i did that why did i do that and asking that question why is a really important one um and that reflective practice reflective practice is an incredibly broad topic that's that's really personalized to people so finding a way for yourself to reflect accurately on your day out is really important because that is how you're going to get better at those decision making i can also suggest trying different decision making so if you're in somewhere familiar try doing something different in the same environment so it might be our oh, classic example be we always jump out to inspect triple step on the dart on river right and walk down it could i run triple step in a different way it's an environment that's familiar to me could i try managing some a, a, a familiar situation in a different way and that will help me when i come to an unfamiliar environment because i've gone through a decision making process that's different to the one that i've always done um, and that and then going through that why did i do that why did that work did that not work sort of process of asking yourself questions there's a healthy as it is that reflective practice on decision making usually follows from an incident um and that's healthy because reflection on an incident is but what you're talking about is not from a outcome of something that's happened you're you're talking about reflecting on all your decisions basically so rather than a, a point in time and and yet yeah, people reflect on on incidents and we still would absolutely 100 percent support that but you're you're bringing it into a different dimension now aren't you this is this is everyday decision making yeah every time you go out on the water you can reflect on your decision making every time uh you, you kind of like we've set the shuttle where did we meet why did we meet there all these different things even if your day out has been successful and the best day out ever ask yourself the question why was that the best day out ever because uh, traditional it's a very british approach to take isn't it is that idea that I only think about things when they've gone wrong. Um, but actually thinking about what went right is even more important because if we've got it right, we can get it right all the time. Probably, but probably not actually. But you know, we can we can keep getting better at getting it right rather than worrying about not getting it wrong next time, which is a much nicer mindset to have as well, I find for me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um it's quite easy to focus on an epic. <laughs> <laughs> and try and gather the learning from that but actually if we can get positively re reinforce all the good stuff that's happened um that that's where it's at because if we do that we get better and better at reflecting now it could be that we're deflected reflecting on um, decision making but if we're not really sure and that's quite a complex, complex subject then perhaps why don't we try learning to reflect on our performance or getting in and out of an eddy or you know something small and um, 
to, to go through that process of asking questions and, and, and really picking it apart. Because when it comes to decision making, sometimes it might be uh, easier to reflect on that with someone else. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where a community of practice comes in. Um, so it's really, I think, important to be able to share these good moments or maybe not so good moments. Uh, sometimes a client might not even notice that it was a bad decision. But to me, it was a, a bad decision and I could do much better. I could get a better outcome. Um, and they're, they're the, the grey areas where you think, am I being hard on myself? Am I reflecting too negatively on my performance as a, as a, a coach or a leader? Um, or, you know, can I just have that conversation with someone? And if we've, we're open for discussion, we work well together, we share um, similar thoughts with one another, then it's really easy to have that, that discussion. But yeah, I think you're boxing yourself in if you don't um, allow that to happen, for sure, because we don't get better if we don't allow any form of reflection to happen. Yeah. And that collaborative approach is a really healthy, isn't it? You know, as long as it's the right climate, that community of practice where people can actually talk openly about the decisions made throughout the day, um, as long as people are open to to feedback and reflective practice, that's a really healthy environment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be, oh, you did this. Why did you do that? That was setting up the whole conversation to fail. It's more about listening and, you know, oh, did you make that decision? Why did you do that? I've never done that before in, in, a, in a certain tone because emails or chats or anything that can come across to negatively um, pick apart somebody's day is, is not going to be healthy. Uh, so it kind of has to come from two ways and in a way which is friendly and also allows that learning to happen when i'm doing this and go through this process i think about talking about the options we had rather than to see what options did we have so i'm yeah. going oh i've got i've got this thing in front of me that's happening it might be i'm going around a headland in my seaboat what options do i have for going around that headland how can i go around this with my with the people i'm with what ways can i do that and then going and even if i didn't verbalize all those options at that time at the end of the day, I can think about these are the options I thought about. What other options did Lee have? What other options did Georgina have? And we can just reflect back and go, and then I can be like, oh, I didn't even think about doing it that way, Georgina. That, that might have worked really well too. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. and then that changes that tone of that conversation from why did we do this to what options did we have? And then we can look at the pros and cons of those. Yeah. It's a really big subject, isn't it? Um, and what I'd hope that's happened today and a big thanks to Georgina and Dan is that this is just the beginnings of exploring this particular subject and as I alluded to earlier that uh, you know we will be exploring this subject uh, throughout 2023 and beyond that feeds into all of our coaching and leadership that we do in the safety awards but actually you know by promoting uh, an awareness of decision making would hopefully make people safer on the water. Um, so yeah georgina thanks very much for your time today and dan yeah, thanks very much for your time as well um uh, really appreciate it and uh hope everyone uh, that was listening really enjoyed the uh podcast um take care everyone thanks for Bye. listening thanks for listening we hope you'll join us for the next episode Remember to review, rate and subscribe. Bye for now.